Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our positional ranking series, and today we're going to talk about our top 10 Western Conference power forwards. So, Jalen, who are your top 10 Western Conference power forwards? Boy, this one was difficult, but here we go. At number 10, I have Jay Crowder of the Phoenix Suns. At number 9, I have P.J. Tucker of the Houston Rockets. At number 8, I have Marcus Morris of the L.A. Clippers. At number 7, I have Bojan Bogdanovic of the Utah Jazz. At number 6, I have Robert Covington of now the Portland Trailblazers. At number five, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies. At number four, I have Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors. At number three, I have Christos Porzingis of the Dallas Mavericks. At number two, I have Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans. And at number one, I have Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers. So at number 10, I have Paul Millsap of the Denver Nuggets. Number nine, I have Jay Crowder of the Phoenix Suns. Number eight, I have LaMarcus Aldridge of the San Antonio Spurs. Number seven, I have Marcus Morris of the Los Angeles Clippers. Number six, I have Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans. Number five, I have Jaron Jackson Jr. of the Memphis Grizzlies. Number four, I have Robert Covington of the Portland Trailblazers. Number three, I have Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors. Number two, I have Kristaps Porzingis of Dallas Mavericks, and number one, I have Anthony Davis of the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, we, Ryan, okay. No, 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 no. So you know we got to touch on the elephant in the room. There's no way we can pass this, bro. I have Zion Williamson at number two, and I was afraid that I put him too high. You, on the other hand, went ballsy and put him as low as number six under guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Robert Covington. What has you believing right now that Zion Williamson is not a top five even power forward in the Western Conference right now? So my main concern right now is injuries in terms of what happened in college and the fact that he started playing in January of this year, that was my first concern. My second concern, which I mentioned with the ESPN Top 100 episode, I think he is slightly, slightly overhyped. I think he is a great player. There's no doubt about it. I don't think anybody has the skill set of a guy like Zion Williamson. But it's only his first year. I'm not giving him all the credibility and all the props that the media are giving him because I know he is as good as what we saw at Duke. I think he, we need to see more of him. And I think it just starts with the first point I made in terms of injuries. If he can stay healthy on the court, he's going to be a top five power forward in no time. When he's healthy on the court, 
he could be arguably one of the best players in the NBA. I think he eventually can become the face of the NBA. But it's his first year in the league. We need to pump the brakes a little bit because he's only played 24 games. And I get it. I know in 24 games, he averaged close to 23 points a game. He averaged 58% from the field, nearly 48% from three, and he grabbed six rebounds. Now, all the high expectations that people are having for him, I would expect him to average a double-double next season. I would expect him to get, if he's healthy, 25 points and at least 10.5 rebounds a game. I want to see him grow as a basketball player, and there's no doubt he'll do that. I have him at number six because of injuries and the fact that, let's face it, Jaron Jackson Jr. is improving as a power forward. Like I mentioned with John Morant, I think he's going to help lead Memphis to the playoffs. Draymond Green is one of the best defenders in the league. He's an underrated three-point shooter at his position. I think that he is still arguably one of the best power forwards in the league, considering that he's playing for a Golden State Warriors team that won three championships. And then looking at Chris Stapps Porzingis. What else can you say about him? He's seven feet tall and he can shoot threes. One of the best power forwards in the league. Robert Covington, one of the best defenders in the league. And then, of course, Anthony Davis, almost seven foot tall, shoot threes, attack the glass, get rebounds, also a champion. I think Zion at number six, I don't think he'll be there for long. I think he'll eventually be a top five player. So my only argument against Zion being at six when you speak on injuries is just that Kristaps is in a similar circumstance and you have him at two. Um, And I would argue that offensively Zion does a bit more within the flow of the offense. Now we both agreed. We both agreed that Zion at 19 on the ESPN 100 was a bit much. And I do understand that putting him as the top two power forward in his conference does make it where number 19 does seem a bit more viable than what I might've argued against. But I do think if we're giving everybody a clean slate and we're kind of factoring in injuries is just something that we're hoping they can get past or get around or hopefully avoid this year as we hope for everyone else. I think that you could easily say that Zion Williamson at least is a top five power forward. I will agree with you this much. I think, and I had a tough time doing, putting this list together specifically at the fact that I genuinely believe that he's a top five power forward, but he's more around four or five than number two where I put him. But I think that projection wise, upside wise, one of the biggest things that you touched on, it was just needing to see more of him. And one of the few things that they, that was addressed this off season when it came to Zion Williamson specifically was no minutes restriction. And the fact that now he's able to truly play within the flow of the offense with the team set as is, because there's not as many rotating pieces. He has a guy like Steven Adams next to him down low, which is going to make them as a front court way more formidable as on the defensive end, because I think Steven Adams matches more of what Zion needs behind slash next to him than what a guy, um, than any of the guys that they had most of last year were, you know what I mean? Overall, and I think that's the biggest thing to take into consideration is I think the acquisition of Steven Adams 
puts them in a position now where Zion Williamson can actually play maybe even more free than what he played last year. And he's already shown in the preseason a near 30-point game, nearly near 30-point double-double even, um, without the minutes restriction. He's a guy who can play without the ball. He's a play. He's a guy who can relatively create for himself. Um, the three-point shot is the biggest thing that we don't see. But I think that my argument for Zion Williamson will be a similar one to what I argue for Ben Simmons. I think that Zion does everything else so well, especially seeing the floor. I don't think he facilitates the way Ben does by any stretch. But he can facilitate from the power forward spot. He rebounds really well. He plays with a lot of energy, runs the floor, definitely is a good team defender as a one-on-one defender it's a bit skeptical but especially as a help side defender he's probably one of the best rotating defenders in the league already I think all of those things should be taken into consideration I definitely think Kristaps is a guy who you could argue is above Zion because of his overall offensive skill set and he is a willing shot blocker he's not just 7-3 for no reason he definitely takes on the challenge of being a shot blocker down low but he's a guy who struggles with injuries a bit himself and is a little bit more of a frame that's concerning moving forward as a guy who maybe doesn't play with as much athleticism so might be able to have a little bit more longevity in his career but Zion Williamson's boom bust potential is a lot further through the roof than even Kristaps's is when healthy if we're arguing what the prime of Zion is and what the prime of Kristaps would be when healthy, I think you could easily argue that Zion's is, is significantly higher than what Kristaps's is. And maybe that's where the projection was um, in terms of me putting him at two. But I would at least argue that right now he's a top five power forward in the Western Conference, even if that just makes him number five. Well, I agree. And a lot of the points that you touched on, which I didn't touch on, but the fact is that he's going to complement Steven Adams very well down low. And I think that as a front court duo, the pairing of Zion and Steven Adams is going to be a very, very dominant pairing, especially with Zion's athleticism and Steven Adams' ability to be a phenomenal rim protector and his ability to get buckets down low and Zion's ability to work in the mid range, develop a three point game. I think that's going to be interesting to see going forward. In terms of Chris Porzingis, yes, I understand that he has injury concerns. But last season, he nearly averaged a double-double. He averaged 20 and 9.5. And, and yes, he is a willing shot blocker. Yes, he is 7 feet tall that he can, and he can shoot threes. I think in terms of injury history, I think I'm just more concerned about Zion than I am Chris Porzingis. And I think that's definitely fair. I think that's a great place to kind of uh, leave off is just the fact that either way, when it comes to injury history with both of them, there's definitely a concern there. And the big wonder is just whoever can stay the healthiest is probably one of the better is one of the better players in the league because they both have tremendous upside. It just comes down to being able to stay on the floor. And they're both in really good positions where their supporting cast actually complement what their styles of play are, which is another thing that's extremely huge in terms of what's going on with that, because these are two teams in the Western Conference that are definitely going to be vying against each other for a spot. These are two of the younger building cores. And although I would argue that maybe because of Luka Doncic individually, that the Dallas Mavericks are a bit further ahead, especially because they were the team that made the playoffs at the top five seed last year. 
um or what what they at least at least within the top 6 or 7 seed last year i think you could argue that you know new orleans is pulling up the rear and zion obviously has a lot to do with that so these are two things teams that are going to be weighed very heavily against each other next season with zion williamson and um and uh christoph porzingis being big you know heavy cogs in the system in terms of that development um, who's the next guy that you would like to take a look at on this power forward list and highlight, um, you know, that you have on your list that I may not have or vice versa? I'm kind of intrigued to see why you don't have LaMarcus Aldridge on your list because maybe because you were saving him for the centers episode, which, oh, no, you're not. Uh, Ryan, honestly, I made the face that people can't see it on camera, but because if you're, if you're an audio listener, people could not see my face scrunch up when Ryan pointed out LaMarcus Aldridge because, but the reason why it did is because I, I knew he was going to spot the flaw. I took a look at my list after I was done putting it together right before we recorded. And I put LaMarcus Aldridge as my honorable mention. And I, I don't have the greatest defense over it. I'm not going to lie to you. I do see him as a guy who's relatively effective in the western conference but he's been a guy who's been really low key he plays in the mid-range very heavy at the power forward position he's not really the standard of a, standard of a stretch four but i do know that he's a guy who's a potential 20 and 7 20 and 8 guy so it's kind of hard to leave him off the list ryan you mind explaining a little bit more as to why you did put him on his on your list since i don't have as much uh backup right now considering he wasn't on my list one of the reasons why I put him on this list is because of his ability in the mid-range, like you said. Normally, power forwards take over inside the paint, inside the post. LaMarcus Aldridge benefits in the mid-range, and I think it's really helped out his game, both offensively and defensively. He is still a very good post defender. He's a very good rim protector, but he thrives more, like you said, in the mid-range. And it's also about staying healthy. Last year, he only played 53 games. However, in those 53 games, he averaged nearly 19 points a game and seven rebounds while shooting 49% from the field and close to 39% from beyond the arc. So his ability in the mid-range and on the perimeter, I think, are two of the best aspects about his game. And considering that he's been consistently scoring close to 18 to 20 points a game throughout his career. He's averaging 19 and a half in his career. LaMarcus Aldridge has to be a top 10 power forward. LaMarcus Aldridge, you cannot leave off of a top 10 power forward list. I definitely, I definitely agree looking back at it. And it was, like I said, the reason why my face scrunched up was because I was like, dang, I think he found the chink in my armor on this one because of the fact that LaMarcus Aldridge is definitely someone that you can argue is a top 10 power forward and you could potentially even argue that you have him a bit low on your list as well especially as an offensive threat um Millsap is a guy who's slowly on the decline we can see that a bit in Denver um especially in the last uh couple of series in the playoffs specifically the last couple of games in the playoffs um Jay Crowder is a guy who we both have in the bottom um of our the bottom of our list at um I have him at 10 you have him at nine you could argue he shouldn't even be on the list at least for me 
in comparison to Lamarcus Aldridge, and Bayshon may not, maybe not even be on the list for you, considering the fact that he's not a true power forward, you know, and you know, relatively playing that position, he didn't even really play power forward last season for Miami. He didn't play power forward much for Memphis. He didn't play power forward much, if at all, when he was with the Celtics. This isn't a guy who doesn't really play power forward. So one could even argue that he should be a guy that comes off of both of our lists. And LaMarcus Aldridge is a guy who this should be thrusted up further, or in my case, shoot, just put on the dang list. So I think that's something willing to argue right there. LaMarcus Aldridge is definitely a top 10 power forward caught myself lacking on that one but I think the biggest thing with him is just the fact that he's been so in the cut for San Antonio it's another one of those things like what I said about DeMar DeRozan his impact on winning it's a lot of empty calorie stats but at the end of the day his his overall offensive game is there he doesn't shoot threes which kind of hurts now that we're in the world of the stretch four and everything but that I don't think his offensive repertoire is so weak that he shouldn't be at least included in the top 10. I think you have a huge point there. I guess in response to that, though, you don't have an all-NBA-level defender in P.J. Tucker on your list. And I would like to know what that's about. Is, is it similar to what I mentioned about Jay Crowder and power forward not really being a true position for a guy of P.J. Tucker's size at 6'5"? Or is it something further than that within the Houston scheme that you just feel as though P.J. Tucker isn't as great of a player as some would think to assume he is, such as myself, who had him at nine? I didn't leave him off my list on purpose. He is my honorable mention. No doubt that P.J. Tucker is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He's been a viable option for this uh, Houston Rockets team, and I think he was – he was even more of a viable option when Houston transitioned to the small ball lineup with Russell Westbrook and, and James Harden, Robert Covington, and P.J. Tucker playing both the four and the five. I just think that in terms of where P.J. Tucker stands, he hasn't averaged more than 10 points a game in his entire career. I just think it's hard to argue for a guy who, like statistically – doesn't average more than 10 a game. I mean, his best season was in 2013 where he averaged nine points a game and six and a half rebounds and shot 38% from three, which was arguably one of his best seasons. It's just, like I said, it's kind of hard to argue for P.J. Tucker when it statistically he's not scoring as much, although he is one of the best three-point shooters. So I think... I think I agree with you that not having the kind of offensive output that a typical top-level power forward should have is an argument against it. But the only part that I would have a bit of pushback on is, are you giving Paul Millsap a pass because of his statesmanship as an overall power forward throughout his history with Atlanta heading to Denver and even his time in Utah previously, or are we going based on strictly his projection going into the 2020, 2021 season? Because if we're arguing that Paul Millsap is a top 10 power forward, despite not really being much of an offensive threat for Denver on a team that does have a litany of offensive players between guys like, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, now Michael Porter Jr., 
um, at one point from them last year. Obviously, Jeremy Grant was potentially their fourth scoring option. They had Morris, um, Monty Morris coming off the bench at point guard that was giving them a lot offensively. So Millsap wasn't very much of a scoring threat either. He was more of a positional presence to spell minutes. And, of course, he did show relatively big uh, in, um, I think, one of the games against the Clippers right around the time when Michael Porter Jr. made, you know, comments of his own in relation to getting touches. And Paul Millsap stepped up to the plate and showed why he at least specifically deserved a bit more touches. But you could also argue that P.J. Tucker played on a relatively strong offensive team as well with guys like James Harden, Eric Gordon, Russell Westbrook, even had Chris Paul once upon a time on the team, different things of that nature, where he never ne- never necessarily got played out of the game because he was always a presence defensively. So what's your argument for Paul Millsap being on the list instead of P.J. Tucker, considering the fact that even if PJ might not be the offensive player, so to speak, that Millsap is from a, from a skill set standpoint, Millsap is on the back end of his career to the point that offensively he's being played out of their system as maybe the fifth or sixth scoring option and not necessarily being visible or even present on the court as opposed to PJ Tucker, who may be the fifth or sixth scoring option on the Houston Rockets but still is relatively prevalent because he's probably the defensive anchor for the team. So to argue what your point was about Paul Millsap being on the back end of his career, Paul Millsap is 35. P.J. Tucker is also 35. Couldn't we make the same argument that P.J. Tucker is also on the back end of his career? And statistically, if we're talking about both of them in terms of uh, – being on the back end of their careers, statistically and skill set wise, Paul Millsap is better than PJ Tucker. Paul Millsap matches up better than PJ Tucker. Like I said earlier, PJ Tucker does not average more than 10 points a game. And the most he has averaged was 9.4, and that was in 2013. Paul Millsap is a guy who, at one point on the Atlanta Hawks, was one of the best power forwards in the league. He proved that he could still play with the Denver Nuggets, although statistically, yes, he has not produced the same numbers that he produced while he was at Atlanta. But if you think about it, statistically, Paul Millsap improved in terms of shooting from the field and improved in terms of perimeter shooting. In terms of perimeter shooting, he averaged close to 44% from three in the 51 games he played in. Is he a fifth or sixth scoring option? Yes. P.J. Tucker is also pretty much in that category of being a fifth or sixth scoring option. But I think with a guy like Paul Millsap going into this year, with the loss of Jeremy Grant, I think he could arguably be the fourth scoring option because Jamal Murray is the first, Nicole Jokic the second, MPJ, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be the third option. And Paul Millsap will most likely be the fourth option. And even at age 35, he's playing up close to 12 and 6 a game. And he's shooting pretty well from the field, and he's improving in terms of, uh, in terms of his three-point numbers. So I think statistically, 
if you're taking the stance that Paul Millsap is on the back end of his career, we would have to use that argument for P.J. Tucker as well. I think that's fair enough. And I think it's obviously one of those things where if he, if as, as Paul Millsap is continues to improve offensively in terms of efficiency from the floor, that's something that will translate a little bit better long-term as opposed to PJ Tucker banging down low on the defensive end. And it's already probably, it's already probably taking a big toll on his body that he's been playing between power forward and center for the Houston Rockets for the last two to three seasons at six, five. So one could argue that, Maybe in terms of uh, physicality, P.J. Tucker may even be older (laughs) than Paul Millsap, considering the kind of things that he has to go through down low in comparison to Paul Millsap, who is more of an offensive player. So I think there's good arguments on both sides. One could say that P.J. Tucker's offense is better than Paul Millsap's defense, but one could also say that Paul Millsap's efficiency makes him a more – more sustainable player on the court than P.J. Tucker, who is overmatched on the uh, on the uh, defensive side of the ball, despite the fact that he plays a little bit bigger than his body is. So I think I think there's definitely arguments all around in terms of where that whole thing stands and where things could go with that. Um, I think the next place that we probably should go is Draymond Green. He's a guy who had a bit of a, a falling off from the three-point line about a year or two ago. Um, I don't think anybody's counting last season necessarily against him, considering the circumstances that he was under. Kevin Durant moved on from the Golden State Warriors and was, you know, injured himself. Steph Curry didn't play more than 20 games, I believe, um, last season. Klay Thompson was out for the entire year, will be out for the entire year again, and played for a team, played for a team in Golden State that was primarily young guys, you know. Had D'Angelo Russell for a relatively short period of time brought in Andrew Wiggins who did Andrew Wiggins like things for the for the majority of the season had a guy like Eric Pascal you know play very good decent minutes for them in the meantime as well um I think we're both relatively high on a guy like Draymond Green who people have seemed to forget about I know we don't harp on Draymond Green as heavily as maybe we did for like Kevin Durant or Steph Curry in terms of where does this guy's name come up when you talk about the better players that in the league or the better players at their position? But we both believe that Draymond Green is still a top five power forward despite the circumstances that he's been dealt the last two years. So what exactly do you expect from Draymond, first of all? And second of all, what do you think overall is what makes him a top three power forward at his position in the, in the Western Conference? So what makes him a top three power forward is mainly his defensive acumen. I mentioned earlier, he is one of the best defenders in the league. And there's a reason why Golden State won three championships with Draymond Green is because of the presence that he had in the paint, his ability to hold his own as a defender. I just think those are two of the things that I look at when I see Draymond Green, because Draymond Green helped the Warriors pretty much gain three championships. We can't deny the contributions that Draymond Green had to the Golden State Warriors in all three of those championships, even with the two that Kevin Durant was on Golden State for. But he was still a viable option. I just think in terms of your first question, what do I expect from Draymond Green? I expect him to, number one, stay healthy. And... Number two, be the same player that he was on those championship teams. 
I'm expecting him to be a defensive presence in the paint and in the mid-range. I'm expecting him to continue to hold his own as a defender. I'm expecting him to improve from beyond the arc. Last year, I know despite injuries, he averaged close to 28% from three. He also averaged 28% from three the year prior. So I'm expecting him to be more efficient from three, stay healthy, be the same player on defense. And I want to see him get more involved in the offense, given the fact that I know they drafted James Wiseman, but I think that Draymond Green and James Wiseman could be an underrated pairing in the Western Conference because James Wiseman is that old-school center that's physical in the post and can really attack the glass, while Draymond Green is a guy who thrives in the mid-range. He can hold his own as a defender. I just think that you know the pairing of James Wiseman and Draymond Green actually gives Draymond Green some help on defense, considering that, especially with Clay out, I think it's going to be interesting how Draymond Green steps up and if he is the same player that he once was on the championship teams. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just a chance for him to really, you know, get back to himself. I mean, one of the things that he had mentioned on the All the Smoke podcast is that he was dealing with a bit of a shoulder injury for the better part of the last, you know, two seasons. And he's similar to John Wall is saying that he's felt better than he's felt in years in terms of things like that, dealing with injury. And I think last year gave him a really good chance to kind of get himself back together. I mean, we have to remind ourselves, we really have to, you know, put things together and remind ourselves that they were on a championship scale run for the better part of five to six straight seasons. You know, um, they were in a circumstance where, you know, I know we talk about LeBron James and his Iron Man ability and things like that, but not every player is built like that. Not every player is able to handle themselves in the ways that a, a guy of the caliber of LeBron James is able to handle himself. And not everybody is built built with the, the God-given you know, talent slash physical, you know, stature that is LeBron James to be able to keep himself in the kind of shape to go to eight straight finals and things of that nature. So it's one of those things where with Draymond Green, he really kind of had a struggling season about two years ago in terms of shooting the ball from three. Last year was a year where he kind of just got to fully get himself back together because two years ago they were still in the midst of a championship run and almost did the dang thing if Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson didn't go down against the Toronto Raptors. I think we both could assume that they would have won that championship and three-peated. So last season was his first real year to kind of get himself together, similar to Steph Curry as well. And I think that this year is a really good chance for him to bounce back. I think this is a guy who you could argue might even be too low even on our list. You have him at three and I have him at four. You could argue on both sides of the ball. He might even be number two right now. Um, We obviously need to see him on the court. We need to see him a little bit more effectively from the three-point line specifically, but he does a lot of the things that an all-around point forward should slash needs to be able to do. Um, He's a souped-up version of what Blake Griffin has become, a guy who's not nearly as as athletic. I think Blake Griffin is obviously still relatively athletic, but not in comparison to where he used to be once upon a time jumping over Kias and stuff. 
And I think Draymond Green is an overall better defender than what Blake Griffin is. And so, therefore, with his basketball decision-making on the offensive end, if he improves as a three-point shooter, his defense has already been there where he's been an all-NBA defender multiple times, and he's been a defensive player of the year already. So I think if we can get defensive player of the year level Draymond Green back while also being a, a you know, a, th- a legit 38 point uh a 38 uh percent three-point shooter at bare minimum we're talking about a guy who's arguably the best three and d power forward in the league next to maybe anthony davis um and that's somebody who could arguably be top two at his position um or top two at his position in the western conference and easily argue and easily if not arguably top five at his position in the entire league so transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what do you want to see from Draymond Green as he comes back from injury this year for the Golden State Warriors? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.